welcome, welcome. 6 a.m. runner, 6 a.m. family, um, you know, 6 a.m. anything. And you don't even have to run at 6 a.m. Anyone that runs 6 p.m., anyone that's part of this 6 a.m. run community, I want to say hi to you. This is a very exciting time for us. I am in the midst. You guys know me. I'm Hami Mahani, CEO and founder of 6 a.m. run. Um, kind of stepping out of my comfort zone a little bit and going into the podcast world. A lot of you guys have seemed to be uh, interested and our listeners are growing. And I guess as we all run, sometimes we want books, podcasts, and music. So I'm, I'm very excited that we're kind of going into almost, you guys have heard a, a little over 10 that we've published. I've been on like speed dial and I'm probably recording right now, like almost like 20th. So I can't really wait for you guys to hear the amazing guests that are coming your way with this one and with the ones that are coming up. Without further ado, our next guest's time is very valuable and limited. So I want to get right to it. I want to introduce Gregory Ann Cox, uh, but I want to let you, if you don't mind, you introduce yourself, your bio, your resume. And I told you why in our pre-call, can you express why I came to you? Sure, Hami. Thank you so much for having me. I love what you're doing. I mean, I, I'm as we talked just before you hit record, I'm really committed to the way exercise makes me feel and knowing that it is at any age a really important part of our continued longevity, the vitality, the ability for our bodies to stay in the game mm-hmm. as well as our minds. And I don't have to talk, I don't have to, I'm preaching to the choir when it comes to talking about that importance of physical exercise and mental stamina and well-being. Who I am is a person who, right now I coach women over 50. I actually have another business. I do copywriting and marketing, but we're focused today on the work that I do with women over 50. And I started this business when I was at the perimenopause stage. And I'm now in my early 60s. So I've run the gamut from perimenopause into menopause, postmenopause, and how to navigate those changes. What I'm really big on working with my women on is the hormone balance. Hormones run the show, whether we're going through a hormonal transition or not. They are responsible for our temperature, our appetite, our cognition, our mood. Everything hinges on balance in the body and hormones are really uh, like they're the kings and queens of that system. So that is one of the things that I talk to my women about and help them get balanced. Can you, if you kind of Define, because men have hormones too, obviously, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Can you define a, I mean, I'm, I'm a marketing major. I have a college degree, but I, my science and math were my two worst subjects. Can you please define a hormone for me? Sure. I'm going to say that a hormone is a chemical messenger. Okay. A hormone, everything that we do, every thought we think, every bite of food we take triggers something in the body to release a hormone. So these hormones run through the body in response to us, to our moods, as I said, to our food, to our thinking. And they then, their jobs, let's just talk about insulin and blood sugar balance. So insulin is a hormone that's responsible for bringing the blood sugar after we eat or exercise, blood sugar goes up. Insulin's job as a messenger is to take those little extra sugar molecules and put them in the cells for energy or store them later for fat. Okay. Then we have other hormones that do different things in the body. But basically, we do something, the messenger says, okay, I got to have a job to do now. I got to go do that job. So no, it makes perfect sense. And almost, it sounds like it works parallel to nerves and everything else. Oh, absolutely. So we have neurotransmitter, that's the nervous system, the brain. Right. And then we have the chemical messengers. 
And yeah, no, that defines it now that it does make better sense. And how did you get, I want to go into just a little bit of your bio. And I never, by the way, I never talk to women about their ages, even though I know a lot of our clients, I I told you in our pre-call, are men and women over 40, but I will never say that to them. (laughs) (laughs) But tell me how you got into this. Was it later in life when you really took this kind of like, or was it, is this something that's just kind of, you know, for me, for example, I was never a runner. I was never into finding out it really, I'll say for me, and I don't want to make this podcast about me, but when I, I told you in the pre-call, when I hit 35, I was like, wow, like I, I'll give you an example. I went, I was running, I went to jump over a puddle and I was like, that should not have taken that much energy. <laughs> you know, I'm yeah. like, I like a jumping over a puddle. I was like, wow, that just really took a lot of effort. So did you kind of say, I think you kind of said it a little bit, but if you can maybe elaborate, how did you get to where you are today to educate yourself or take the education and courses that you've taken? How did this happen? So I came in as a kid who wanted to fix people and stuffed animals okay. and creatures. And, and then I wanted to be a doctor. But as you said, you didn't have success in the sciences, nor did I. My, uh, my guidance counselor said, you're really great with language. You should do language. Psychology is kind of a science. So I did that. And Along the way, my mom was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. So my journey of interest in doctoring and nutrition and stuff sort of went into high gear because I was 19 and I thought, because, you know, that's what young people do, I guess, I thought that I could help her and cure her. By So I studied everything I could get my hands on. There was nothing that was going to save her in the world of supplements and my mindset and emotions, nor hers. But from there, I got really committed to the idea that if some people got well from mindset, spontaneous remission, nutrition, all these things, then there must be something here that I want to know about. And then I studied more. Then I went to work. I used to be a chef. I went to work for a heart surgeon and I was the corporate chef for this company. Uh, fit, uh, healthy, daily fit and fresh was a healthy fat food, fast food restaurant. And he said that he wanted everybody on the, in the C-suite to observe open heart surgery. Yeah. But he didn't mean from the viewing room. He meant next to the anesthesiologist in the OR with him. So I stood next to the anesthesiologist as they cracked the chest. And he, the doctor daily took out the heart and showed me what was lifestyle related to this woman's issue and what the heart naturally comes with a little heart, a little fat to pad it, right? To keep it safe from bones. And my mind was blown because her heart was hardly moving. And he said to me at that point, 60% of my patients do not have to have the surgery. If only they would change their lifestyle. I was like, wow, "Wow, there's something really big here. Well, now that statistic is 80%. 80% of the people that have diabetes, heart disease, open heart surgery, all these things, even cancer, and now they're saying even Alzheimer's, have something to do with that diagnosis. So along the way, I've just been getting these move, this incentive to keep going with it. No, it goes along with, there's there's an analogy and, and, and what you're saying makes sense. You know, it goes with, there's, I don't want to, I'm going to beat this analogy up word for word, but you know, if, if I offer you, you know, $10,000 cash and say, eat better and work out a few times, you probably will do it. Cause you're like, wow, $10,000 cash. And all I got to do is eat this and, and go to the gym. Okay. But if I also told you, Hey, I'm not going to pay you cash, but go do that anyway. Oh, but the reward is maybe 10 years extra of your life. I think a 20 year old might be like, yeah, like, but when I, I know for me hitting like now 40, I'm 42 now. I know for me, that's like, that's when you kind of start thinking like 10 extra years means a lot. It does. It does. It absolutely does. And there are days I want to be lazy and not get on my Peloton or not go for a power walk. 
Right. And because of the work I do, I'm constantly in the mindset of this could happen if I don't do this. And of course, right. we have no way of saying 100% that our lifestyle habits are going to prevent anything. Right. But we know pretty much that lifestyle is super car. 20% is gene related. That's it, mm-hmm. 20%. Can you talk about next, and, and I'm, I'm going by the bullets on your profile, which by the way, it's perfect for a podcast. Now we kind of talk about metabolism a little bit. I mean, my daughter, she's 14 and she's on the road for AAU basketball in the summer and it sucks. We have, it's tough to eat. You don't know when her games are. She has to eat right after a game. So you know what? Chick-fil-A and fast food kind of becomes our lunches. And I try at least during the week, our thing at my house. And then I make no secret about it, even though I own a nutrition company, Monday through Friday, let me at least do my best to eat well. Mm-hmm. On the weekends, it's not as easy. Or Friday yeah. nights, we want to do date night or go out. You know, it's hard. Yeah. So I make no secret about my personal lifestyle. But why is it that those weekends of me eating Chick-fil-A, metabolism, when I was my daughter's age at 14, I could eat McDonald's daily and mm-hmm. I was ripped. Now it's not like that. Yeah. Can you talk about metabolism a little bit? Sure. So there's a, people say that, oh, my metabolism is slowing down because I'm getting older. The mm-hmm. metabolism changes and clearly it will, I'm going to use the word slow down, but I don't want people to take that as a, like, oh, there's nothing I can do because my metabolism is slowing down. What happens also as we age, the metabolism of certain nutrients changes for some people. As we get older, many people have a, a harder time processing dense carbohydrates the body just changes it once less of them, perhaps a higher profile of fat and protein. The other thing that happens when we say our metabolism is slowing down, that's why we're putting on weight. And I'm not saying you are, but many people feel that we also become more sedentary as we get older. Just It just happens. We sit more in the office at our desks, whatever we drive more. And that contributes to it. That right there for sure is me. Yeah. And so metabolism is a funny thing and everybody, you know, no two people have the same metabolism at that 35, 40, 50, but we have to listen to our own body because again, it's that listen to your body. The body will tell you if you are starting to get gas or you're bloating after eating, you're tired right after you eat, there's too much of something in that meal for you. And that will eventually probably lead to weight gain if you're not careful. So we can't blame metabolism for everything, but how we metabolize certain things does change as we get older. And and it's funny you say that. I even look at it. So you don't have to tell me if you don't want to. I'm I'm located in Wilmington, Delaware, right there, center of the East Coast. We're like two hours from DC, two hours from NYC. And winters can can get cold. We don't have as much snow as like up north or anything. But what I'm saying is summers, for example, my winters are when I put on and and I like to enjoy the holidays with my family and I put on a little weight. But to your point, summers, you're out more. I walk the dog a lot. I feel bad to say this because I love my dog to death. So don't think of me any different. (laughs) But summers, I walk the dog more. You know what I mean? Instead of just letting him out, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm more, you're 1000% right on activity. And summers, it's a lot easier to stay in shape because the activity as the weather increases in temperature, that's when I'm like, I like to go out. Funny, let me ask you this, because talking about that, as I get older, tell me if this is a hormone thing or an age thing. And this is just a personal question, off topic, off the podcast. I've noticed this winter more than any, I'm colder than I've ever been. And it's not that the winter, you know, maybe there's global warming going on. Maybe there isn't. I'm not a scientist, as we said. But is there something about my body that made me this winter? I feel like I'm, I sit more by fire, my fireplace uh, right here under my desk. I turned it off for this. I have a heater under my desk <laughs> for the first time ever in my life. Is there something about hormones or nerves? Like as you get older, 
Like I want to be more warmer all the time. You know, I could never make a blanket statement, yes or no. But what I can say that the thyroid is responsible for regulating temperature, but the thyroid is part of a system, the pituitary, mm-hmm. adrenal, thyroid. They're all working together. Okay. You could have spent adrenals because you're stressed and that would affect your thyroid regulating your temperature. If it was a consistent thing and you also had other symptoms like fatigue and you were losing your hair, all kinds of things, I would say go get a blood test for your thyroid. But it may just be this winter you were colder. I, you know, sometimes our bodies are just, we don't move as much, so there's not as much circulation. Maybe we just feel like hunkering down and having a blankie or a heater on. So to that statement, and if you want to talk about, I did not realize, and, and I'm sure for your clients, let me ask if this is something you see and recommend. At 35, part of my journey and why we also created our product, I didn't realize the importance of vitamin D. Oh, yeah. So in living on the East Coast, the way I describe the East Coast is from about November to February. Now we're kind of warming up a little bit. It's just gray. It's just gray. It's not sunny so much. It's not rainy. It's just gray. And then in the summer, I feel like the sun really comes back. My doctor prescribed me this. I don't even know the name of it, but it's a one pill a week. It's a pharmaceutical vitamin D infusion. Hmm. And that made this world of difference. Hmm. Um, Basically, it's a full on dose enough for a week of vitamin D. Mm -hmm. Can you describe and your thoughts on the importance and or lack thereof and a lack of vitamin D that a lot of people are experiencing that like that vitamin D infusion in my body, it just made so much of a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Did you feel you had more energy? I'm just curious when you say a difference, how did you experience that difference? Yeah. Like I was just very blah. I'm not a upset person. I'm not a depressed person, but yeah, I was like, do you want to go I, I run still, but after my run, it was that extra energy of playing with the girls. I have a six-year-old and a 14-year-old. The mm. six-year-old wants to go, you know, do this, do that. Mm-hmm. It was just a blah feeling. But yeah. once I was put on this prescription, I was like, wow, like, all right, I can go run in the morning, work, and then get home and have at least that little bit of extra oomph, you know, to hang out with the kids for sure. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I'm on a crusade about vitamin D and I, anybody listening whether you live, I also live in, I live in Jersey. So on the East coast, no matter where you live, even people that live in California, they are still probably not getting 20 minutes a day, full exposure on the skin to synthesize enough vitamin D. And even then with pollution levels, I'm thinking California, LA, you know, it's kind of a crapshoot to rely on skin exposure, except in the summer, we're more exposed, right? We stay Mm -hmm. outside more, but vitamin D is linked. First of all, vitamin D and cholesterol work synergistically in the body. Cholesterol is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. And it also is, talk about hormones, those guys are the basis of sex hormones. So if anybody's having a little bit of an issue right there, might like stop lowering your cholesterol and make sure you have vitamin D. So what's a good level of vitamin D? 40 to 60 NDL. I don't even remember what that means. And you can get your vitamin D levels tested when you get a blood test. Mm -hmm. You can order them yourself online. I can't imagine that if you're not taking a vitamin D supplement, I can say that you're probably safe taking 2,000 milligrams of a fat-soluble version. That means a gel cap usually, Mm because that's the only way the body can assimilate the D and make use of it. But it's linked to mood and depression, and people recover from breast. This is a super proven study. Breast cancer patients recover better if their levels are optimal, not like 20 to 30 or 15 to 20, which is average. 
Mm-hmm. But like 50 to 60. Wow. So it's a super important, and it's actually a precursor hormone. We, re- we call it a vitamin, but it is actually what helps hormones do their job. Every cell in the body has a receptor for vitamin D. Yeah, no, and, and I learned that, you know, and, and it's just crazy that I feel bad. Like, and I love that nowadays, you know, not to get off topic, but I love that, and I'm, I'm glad we're providing this for some of our younger customers even. You know, I know a lot, majority of our customers, because I started this company for my own needs, and I know we market to a lot of 35 plus, but I love when I see younger customers that are part of our community, and hopefully they're getting this information. I feel like if I would have, you know, it sucks to your point, you speak about your mother, and I know I have family members, it sucks that sometimes it takes like that person or yourself getting into that certain situation to then research this stuff. I do love the upcoming generation. I feel like they'll be, and I guess that's also why even we beat our parents in terms of lifespan, right? Mm -hmm. Because every generation coming next and next and next, they are a little more educated on what needs to be done to, you know, I guess have more longevity. So I kind of, I guess, answer my own question there. Um, But (laughs) so let's, again, people don't see what I'm looking at. I'm I'm looking at your profile because it's really great stuff. If you don't mind, I want to take mindset and save that for the last part. Actually, mindset and the other part I want to save for last. Let's talk about what is excess in moderation. I wanted to know what that was. All your points have been really educating. What is Thank excess? And I first saw I first saw that I thought exercise in moderation, but it says excess in moderation. Right. So your weekend of Chick Fil A's and letting your hair down to eat whatever you want you know, a girlfriend gathering, we may have more wine in one night than we do all week. You know, somebody may be having a really rough day. And rather than that one little square of chocolate, they feel like half a bar is what they need. That's excess in moderation because I am not about deprivation. And I think that it works against us when we put ourselves in a place of always on, right? We're hundred percent. Nobody is a hundred percent doing every single thing they could yeah. for their body every day. I just don't believe that. And if no. they do all of the physical stuff, maybe they have too much stress or maybe they're not connected to enough people. So excess and moderation is just letting life be enjoyable and celebrate the wins or celebrate anything with the food and maybe the wine or the cocktails, and then go back to baseline, but don't mm-hmm. make it wrong, right? I don't want people sitting there going, Oh, I'm doing this. Uh, it's not wrong. It's just what is. Yeah. And, and as we, I mean, again, not to repeat myself, I think, I think you also, you have to find out, you know, a lifestyle or plan that works for you. My two kids and their age and our family lifestyle, I'm part of the 6am run that way. I don't know, Ms. Cox, if you, if you, if I told you the story, part of how we started was by my wife saying, look, you've got to run in the morning. I didn't want to run at six in the morning, (laughs) but at 6pm, you know, it was dinner time, right? So that's how that happens. You talk about, and if you don't mind getting into this, is that part of what this wine, salt, meat, and health is? Are those two subjects married? You know, I would say they are, except I don't consider meat or salt an excess unless somebody's eating it to excess. But why I talk about, you know, meat, salt, wine is because, again, it's people put together their nutritional profiles based on whatever information works for them. Some is better than others. There are people, I had a woman the other day that wanted to argue with me that the China study, which is a study that proved, proved, I'm going to use air quotes, Mm -hmm. that veganism is the only dietary plan that's healthy for humans. The study was conducted on white nurses in their 30s. That was the whole study, like 10,000 of them or, or more, right? So all I'm saying is if meat works for your body, have some meat, but have 
good quality meat. Yeah. Right. If salt feels good on your food, tastes good and makes your body feel good, buy the best you can. Buy Himalayan or lava salt or something, but don't use those heavily processed canisters. Don't use a lot of, what do you call it, convenience foods, which are very high in unnatural salt. So my only point is, whatever works for your body and keeps you healthy, I can't tell anybody that that's wrong, whether it's meat or vegan, even veganism. Let people feel good being a vegan. That's great. No, I know, 100%. What, let me ask you this, though. What is it about, for, they say this, and you probably have much more insight than I do, you know, McDonald's fries, it's the salt, right? That mm-hmm. makes you want more fries. Like whether it's a small or a large, I'm finishing all those French fries. <laughs> Right. I think uh, we all can agree. You know, a lot of the fast food fries are like that. Uh, Chick-fil-A, we talk about Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A fries too. And then sugar as well. Um, My wife yells at me all the time. I'm a a sour candy person, love sour. But my wife says the same thing on sugar. She's like, you realize like you're just feeding your addiction. She's like, you're Mm -hmm. just feeding your sugar addiction. It's only getting worse by more, the more sugar. And then same thing with salt, right? Salty foods, you kind of just, I don't think you ever get full necessarily, right? From a lot of salty foods. Do you agree with that? You know, I don't know about getting full from salty foods. I would get full from a bunch of French fries, but I would eat more than I wanted because of the salt. And one of the tricks of the food industry is to marry the sugar, which you can't taste underneath the salt layer, but your taste buds respond to both. So you're actually feeding your sugar through your French fries, your sugar thing. And, you know, if it becomes a problem, if you're sucking down a bag of, you know, sour gummies or whatever, Jolly Ranchers every day, I think that's a problem. Yeah. It doesn't matter that it's sour. It still has sugar in it. But I don't, again, I, I don't want to disagree with your wife. Heaven knows. No, no, I no. Just, and, well, even they say like, and, and no, she, and she obviously like, and she, like finding articles. So I, I, I'm curious because I would love to actually, I would love to prove her wrong. So I can have as much as I want. But <laughs> also too, I, I think like they were even saying like diet, like diet sodas and things like that. They're just, yes, while you're not getting calories out of them. Um, and now I think a lot of them are moving away from aspartame, which we know is kind of not good for you. But same thing, like you're just, because you're substituting it with fake sugars, your body still craves real sugar. Is that true? So what your body craves is something, right? When we get the hit of sweet on our taste buds, it signals the brain that food is coming. Something mm-hmm. sweet in the category of food is coming. When no food arrives, the brain then goes searching for something called food. And we often want something sweet to satisfy the food part. So liquid like diet sodas, like you were saying, nowadays, many of them, you can get options that are made with sugar alcohols. They're not as bad, certainly as aspartame and those guys, but they're going to do the same thing with a little bit of a better, they are a little bit more food product, but it's still that your body isn't getting what it's, you know, historically used to getting through the evolution. And now we can kind of go back and round and close. I think this is where I kind of want to kind of close it out. We talk about mindset. One of the mm-hmm. big things of runners is I think our mindset. I think, and I'll, I'll share with you why I also wanted to have you on the podcast. I think for me, I can't meditate. I really can't shut the world off mm-hmm. without anything. But it's crazy that for me, running is my hour where I can truly escape the world. I'm aware of my surroundings, so I don't get hit by a car or anything like that. But (laughs) I can do an hour run. And when it's done, it's almost like I escaped reality, if that makes sense. With that being said, and your mindset thoughts, I'd love to learn more about your mindset toward mental health, toward exercise. That I think is a great bullet point there to, you know, kind of as we kind of close out our conversation, which has been, by the way, very educational for me. 
Oh, thank you. Yeah, this has been a great conversation. So mindset is, I think when I was in my first year of college, I took a personal development course that some of your listeners' parents will remember was called EST. And so I've got, you know, ages and ages of studying personal development and opening my mind and mindset and this and that. So now it's sort of second nature for me to, A, and talk about mindfulness and the feeling that I'm experiencing, right? Because our feelings drive our actions, even though we may not think that they do. We have a thought, it produces a feeling, and then we take action. Mm -hmm. So for me, keeping an awareness, if I get triggered about something like today, when I was getting on this with you, I stepped in the cat's water bowl and I flipped a big bowl of water all over the floor underneath me. (laughs) And I just thought, well, there's nothing I can do about it right now. So let it pass, right? It just So mindset in that way, it's like I let things go that are going to trigger me. If I feel like I want to do an hour bike ride, but I only have the energy for half an hour, I used to beat myself up about that. Now it's a matter of I'm doing something that my body will feel good about doing. If I tried to do an hour, it probably wouldn't feel good. It's probably not good for my body anyway. The flip side of that is not being too complacent, whereas, well, I had a hard day, so I won't go for a walk. Or, you know, I really should take do a half an hour yoga, but eh. So it's the balance of why am I letting myself off? It's always, I'm always asking myself, what's behind this thought? Is Mm -hmm. it serving me or is it not serving me? If it serves me to not do something like exercise in that, that day, I have to then check in. Is it real or is it a potato chip? Like some people say, well, if I ate for my cravings, I would eat only potato chips because I crave potato chips. So that's in a way I'm joking about that. But you know, what is the thought really? Is it just a, I don't want to do this? Or is there a real reason in which case I should change my thinking and be okay with it? Yeah, no, I think that, I think to your point, I think if there's, you know, even injury runners are notorious for ignoring injuries and, Mm -hmm. you know, because they're addicted to running every day. And part of that addiction, it's funny, I was talking to my wife about this. I don't get up every day and say, yay, let's go run. I don't, (laughs) like, I really don't. I dread it. And every morning as I'm putting on those running shoes, I try to find reasons to, it's funny you're saying all this. Every morning I'm putting on those running shoes, whether it's on the treadmill or outside. And I'm not like, we talk about my, I don't like going out in the cold, so I'll do a treadmill run. But I'm debating. I'm like, do I really need to run right now? Or should I run? Is there, is there a pain? Is there a reason I shouldn't run? But what it is, is, and I was trying to explain to my wife and I I don't want to get too TMI on air. There's a couple feelings humans have that we love. Right. And, And I think everyone can guess where I'm getting at with that. But the feeling though, of when I finish that run, I know what that feels like. Yeah. And that's what I want to get to. So as I'm sitting there putting those running shoes, telling myself, and I curse a little bit, Ms. Cox, I, I, as I'm telling myself, I don't want to do this shit, but I know in my mind, Hami, what's that feeling? And even when my daughter does her training for basketball and things like that, as she's getting older, I tell her, we can go home. You don't have to train today, but how are you going to feel if you skip it versus how are you going to feel if you finish it? Yeah. It's that euphoria, if that's the right word I'm looking for. Of, oh, absolutely. Of, oh my God, I finished it. I'm done. You know, and I've got a lot of like uh, of things I don't, because my audience has heard my thoughts on staying in motion and everything like that. But it, you put it so eloquently of picking the right thought, right? Okay, if I'm injured, yes, that's the big enough excuse. We can't do this today. But if it's just out of laziness, then kind of put those thoughts to the wayside is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. And I even think lazy is okay once in a while. You know, some days it's okay to just lay on, especially in winter. I'm like you, I have a little heated throw blanket. And sometimes 
I just want to sit on the couch and read something. And I do that. Right. Awesome. Let me ask you if you have anything published or as we end, I want to give you the closing statement to sort of sort of opportunity books that you would recommend anything. Maybe if you've, I, I, one thing I didn't see, if you've published anything or any blogs or any website, how can people reach you? You know, do you have clients you take on? I know COVID has helped a lot of coaches take on people virtually. (laughs) How can people reach you? Anything that you would recommend to them? You know, I I really want to give you the opportunity as we close this out to kind of throw a few pieces of, of nuggets out there and also how, and by the way, please email me so I can put in the bio, all of your sites and contact information. Okay. I will do that. Thank you. I have always worked virtually. I, unless I was doing a small group locally, I've been virtual forever with coaching clients. Um, I did write a book actually. It's called Your Genes, J-E-N-E-S. Do not determine the size of your genes, J-E-A-N-S. And it was really about that statistic, you know, the belief that people had about genetics rules everything. And if my mother had this and I'm going to get it, well, now we know that isn't true. And I wrote the book eight years ago. So, but I was reading through some of it the other day and it's really about busting the myths of things like calories in equal calories out and, you know, sugar, fat is making you fat. That's not true, right? So it's just a really solid bunch of science-based information for women, especially at the perimenopause stage and after. My website is rebelliouswellnessover50.com and I have there the five pillars that I believe we need to live by in order to have a long life. And it doesn't matter whether you eat meat or you don't or you like salt or you don't is really just a century's worth of science have proven that there are five things that we need to do. And, uh, and I also have a podcast okay. of the same name. And you want to say that? Yeah. Rebellious Wellness Over 50 is the name of the podcast and the name of the business. Awesome. Please, when I, when I hit 50, have me on there. Yeah, absolutely. I'm only eight years away. <laughs> well, hopefully I'll still be going. Who knows what the technology no, will no. be like then, Hami? Yeah, no, you, this is very educational. I know our customers, our listeners, our community, you know, this is what, what we were doing it for them. So I think that they're going to get a great 30 minute rundown. I apologize. We went a little over. I know your time no, is very valuable. You're so no, busy. No, but yeah, please email me. Is there anything I missed? That you... No, I don't think so. Awesome. No, we'd love to have you back on to hopefully soon too, as if I have any more questions, I'll relay them to you, or we'll definitely put your, your contact information in, in the bio here. Gregory Ann Cox, thank you so much for being on this episode with us. And I, de- I definitely look forward to, to working with you or talking to you a little more here in the future. Great. Thank you, Hami. I appreciate your time. Thanks. All right, everyone. Everyone have a great week ahead of you. And thank you as always for being part of the Six Am Run community and go crush it. Thank you guys. <laughs>